What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with my Pollard. I'm currently sitting in Bryant Park, which is one of my favorite spots in New York when the weather's good. It's beautiful. It's always green. The trees are lush. They have a lot of performances and shows here. I don't usually come out when there are big crowds, but it's just nice to sit here during a, during a weekday at lunchtime or on a weekend. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, surrounded by tall buildings, steel, concrete, glass. But it is just a nice spot to sit and contemplate the world. I was down in Hoboken earlier today watching a soccer tournament called La Liga Promises. It's essentially 11 and 12 year olds from some of the world's best soccer clubs. Football clubs, Valencia, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Villarreal, Atletico Madrid, Liverpool, NYCFC, Hoboken City had a team. That was a team from China. I think Club America from Mexico had a team. And I'm telling, like, if you live in Mexico and I come to Mexico and there's any way you can help me get to a Club America game, oh my gosh, I would love to do that. Such an exciting team to watch. And the fans, ooh. Uh, but it was, it was kind of cool. My one of my little one of my little people got to play in this tournament last year, and these are the things that we moved countries for. It's amazing. You know, I, I pinched myself. My, I had no one playing today, but we went down to support the club, and it's incredible. Kids of that age getting to play some of the best players from around the world of their age group. Oh, it's amazing. This weekend's also kind of amazing. I mean, this has been an amazing year. I don't know why I'm using the word amazing so often. I need to find better adjectives soon. But the past three to four months has really been a sprint to get to this weekend because I'm about to take a few weeks off, which is a strange thing for me to say. It's not that I can't take time off. I do get a bit restless, and my mental health can actually get a little bit... I can get anxious on, on long weekends and around Christmas in Australia and the New Year's Eve period. I get a bit anxious, and I have to admit... There were definitely years where I'd find new addictions, not drugs, uh, but like one year I got really addicted to probably eBay, and then another, this is a long time ago, it was probably a year where I spent a lot of time playing maybe SimCity, or the year, a year or two after I met my wife, we were really into playing Puzzle Fighter, which is like a Tetris Street Fighter battle puzzle game. There's always something that flares up when uh, when I take time off. And so I'm looking forward to the next three weeks because we're going to see a lot of family over in Europe. Dublin, Vienna, Linz, Amsterdam and Copenhagen. I hear so much about Amsterdam and Copenhagen. I'm really looking forward to visiting them for the first time. And then uh, we might be heading to Sao Paulo we might do some strategy stuff down there. And if, if we do, it could happen really quickly. Like in the next three to four weeks, Julian Cole and I, we're in, we're in chats down there. And you know what is amazing? This is serendipity. And I, I do see these things as science. I'm not very superstitious, but I do see things, these things as science. From June 17, that's like a week or so ago, Australians don't need, I think, tourists... Like, they don't need a visa to go to Brazil for tourism or business or sports or performance purposes. Like, what? That's kind of incredible. I know Brazil's got a lot of challenges right now, but selfishly speaking, I mean, it's kind of incredible and for it to have just happened. Uh, and Julian found out about it, and we're like, I think that means we have to go soon. So we might be there in a month. And then uh, we're looking at doing more of the strategy supersize Omega classes and we've got one in London, July 31st. I was very fortunate to get a British passport last year. Sorry for boasting about my passport and visa situations, but, um, you know, it's, it's such a privilege and feel very fortunate to be able to move around the world in particular ways. So July 31, we've got London. Sydney and Melbourne, we are looking at October. I'm hopefully going back for my cousin's wedding on the 25th of October. So to be around... There might be a date before and a date after that particular date for Sydney and Melbourne. I'm not sure if we'll get to Singapore or Bali or something like that, or you know, I'm talking to people in Puerto Rico. I wouldn't mind doing something over, over that Christmas break, the holiday break, get somewhere warm. 
for a few days, maybe turn it into a bit of a writing session as well. Three, four, five days of doing strategy work and writing and contemplation. And so, yeah, this is, this is a big weekend because the past three or four months have just been this, this rush. Not, not a rush to get here. It was to, we wanted to enjoy the journey, but I think I've done, oh, it must be 15 to 20 days of training and talks in the past three months. And that's, I think that takes me close to 100 hours of talking. You'd think I'd be getting good at it by now. <laughs> but I don't, know. I, don't know. I don't know if you've been to any of the events we've been doing, uh, but you get to be the judge of all of that. And, and also, I really appreciate when people come up and uh, have a chat about this thing that I'm doing right now, the podcast. I, I do find it weird when podcasts talk about themselves a lot on the podcast and say the word podcast all the time. And you have to use all this podcast language like unpack. Let's unpack that. Let's take a step back and unpack that. There's all this sort of podcasty, conventional stuff that people say. I try not to do it. Uh, but it's kind of cool knowing that people listen to this and they come to events. And I have a feeling, because a few of you said it, it's kind of weird. Like when you actually get to put my aging face to this voice that's in your head for a few hours a month, maybe. If you're unlucky, I'm joking. Well, if you're un- if, if you're lucky, really, because this voice is in my head at all times. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny when you when you know someone's sort of listened to you and they watch your mouth as you're speaking and they're trying to connect it to the thing that they've had in their head for a while. But uh, it's cool. We're just we're just humans. Don't make it too strange. This is strange enough what I'm doing right now. Um, yeah. So big shout out to everyone who's helped. Obviously, it's been great to collaborate with uh, Julian Cole. It's awesome that we get to work together. Uh, Nayantara Dada was a hu- has been and continues to be a huge help making this uh, strategy supersize the mega class happen. Like I said, we did two shows in two shows. Yeah, I'm calling them shows. All right, we did two shows in New York. Uh, we tweak we tweaked tweak them a little bit. We've improved a little bit. We've cut some content. We had way too much. I am conscious of often having about eight to ten hours of content that I try to do in three hours. Uh, I have weeks and weeks of content. So if you ever want to sign me up to do weeks and weeks and weeks of content, <laughs> let me know. Uh, and Chicago, excuse me, Chicago and LA with a little stop through San Francisco on the way. Silicon Valley is pretty weird, isn't it? I don't know if anyone listened to this in Silicon Valley. Palo Alto, Menlo Park. Very kind of isolated. And, and quiet and then you got Stanford there so you got some massive brains and power and money in that area a lot of Teslas but it looks just like a regular suburban place and I don't know why that's surprising so today we're going to answer some questions I've got I think I've got about eight from Instagram I do want to talk about brand strategists and creative strategists in tech companies or in uh, publishing companies. People who are largely involved with pre-sales, but they have the responsibility of doing some kind of strategy work as part of the, the sale of a publisher's or tech platform's you know, product or content, etc. So I want, to, I want to talk about that. I've had a few chats lately and I've got some thoughts on it. And, and then I've also asked people on Instagram, you know, what's, what's one thing that you need more from your head of planning or head of strategy? So I'll check in on Instagram later and I'll let you know some of those answers. And what I'm intending to do with that is also to ask friends who are heads of planning, you know, what do you need more from people who work for you and with you? What do you need them to understand? And then perhaps I can put it all together in something that's useful to everyone. Because as much as we all talk about empathy and we try to understand the human condition, sometimes we don't understand our own departments or teams, or, our, or definitely ourselves, but definitely our, our departments or teams very well. If you're celebrating Pride this weekend, happy Pride. May you find good, positive love somewhere in the world, and if you already have it, may you cherish it. It's not easy. So... I'm going to answer a couple of questions, then I'm going to walk up 6th Ave to Central Park. Hopefully you'll get to hear a little bit of sound. I don't think this microphone actually picks up a ton of background noise, but you might hear some honking and some... I doubt there'd be construction, but there could be some yelling and honking and all kinds of things. But for now, I'm, I'm sat in Bryant Park, the northeast corner of the lawn here, right next to the beautiful library. It's quite nice to work in there. I do that sometimes. I hope your year's going well. All right, so 
first thing I wanted to chat about is people who are doing strategy work under the title creative strategist or brand strategist in a social network, a tech company, or a publisher. As, or, or, you know what, or doing strategy work in an agency that's, or a type of agency, like a shopper marketing agency that's new to strategy. Because it's not e always easy, especially if you're a bit new to strategy yourself, it's not always easy to work out how to be successful. I think the first thing to think through, I've got five or six points that have been rustling through my head in conversations from the past two weeks. The first thing to acknowledge is that you are in a pre-sales function. I don't know how explicitly or how often you might acknowledge that or talk about it together, but that's the function that you're in. A planner in an advertising agency might be involved with pre-sales, as in pitching, or as in helping someone gather, you know, like someone in your business or an account person, gather a point of view that's worth taking to somebody but planning is not a pre-sales function it might have activities or tasks that are part of pre-sales but the large and that the key role of planning generally speaking is supposed to be to help the work be good and to, for it to make sense and reflect the people well maybe not to directly reflect the people but to reflect an understanding of people And so when you move into one of these other kinds of roles, you might have a title like brand strategist, but you're not doing brand strategy. You might have the title creative strategist. And often if you've got that title, you might have come from a strategy background or you might have actually come from a creative background. It's a weird title to me. I, I kind of understand and I, I understand where it comes from. It's you know, early on, it was a reaction in my point of view, uh, f uh, a reaction against the kind of more I don't know, fastidious researcher planner. And it was people looking at, at that, the, the planner who was a bit more researchy and maybe not that exciting, and someone saying, I'm not that, I'm more creative than that, so I'm going to call myself a creative strategist. That's where I, I sort of started to see it, I'm going to say, 15 years ago. And you know what? There was a point where I thought, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that title too. However, now I see strategy as a creative act, increasingly see it as a creative act, or I see it exactly as, a, as an act of creativity. Therefore, to call someone a creative strategist is repetitive and unnecessary. But I get it, I get it. Sometimes if you're working with clients, the title creative strategist intends to communicate that you're strategic and you're creative, which is to say that people should trust you with what you say. Cool. So if you want to succeed in these kinds of roles, I'm uh, sorry, I shouldn't really say that because I don't, I'm not trying to give some algorithm for success here, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that you're in a pre-sales role. You exist to sell. The second thing is, as part of that realization, you might need to drop some of the idealism around the titles, as in what you think those titles are elsewhere, because they're not that there. So you might need to drop idealism there and also just ideal, idealism around planning especially if you have to respond to briefs from media agencies within a day or two days or three days. Or if you say in a shopper marketing company with a robust sales function, again, you, you know, a, a client coming to you for shopper marketing or customer relationship marketing point of view, uh, a custom relationship CRM, um, customer relationship management, thinking they're not always looking for more strategy because you get these crazy situations where you're just going to have a strategy like strategy upon strategy upon strategy upon strategy you got to loosen that stuff up because it can come across as being difficult and you're going to get frustrated so acknowledge your in pre-sales consider the idealism that is hurting you that's frustrating you in your job look at the stuff that has sold and try to talk to people about why it's sold and extract first principles. You might be able to, especially if you're under time pressure, cut yourself some slack by dropping that idealism because if, especially if you're getting briefed from a media agency, they've done the strategy and someone else has done some brand strategy, someone's done like a creative brief in the advertising agency, 
there's just so many strategy documents there. You might need to respond just with one little insight that is connected to something that you and your company, what, what you and your company would know that other people wouldn't. You know, you don't need to, I don't think you need to kind of go super general at this point and start to do, you know, here's our analysis of your marketing, here's our analysis of your audience. No, 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 no. Like if, if you're in a, I'm trying not to name names, which is why I'm being a little bit vague, but if, you know, if, for example, if you were in a, a hip hop magazine and someone comes to you for an idea and you happen to be a strategist, you don't need to kind of grandstand and do like this massive piece of strategy work. Tell them stuff about hip hop and that community that you know that no one else would know that you would have more of a right to know. That's what people are looking for. And I think if you can simplify your understanding of what's needed from you, which means you might have to deal with, your, like I said, your own, well, your own ego really. Uh, and then try to get to a place where, look, it's, I often try to get, get things super simple. I'm walking around now, I, I feel like I'm rambling and the, the thing is, which I totally am, this is what this whole thing is, it's just one long ramble, but also <laughs> when I go through, when I'm, as I talk, I have a lot of faces and conversations coming to my mind and I'm like, oh, I can't say that, I shouldn't say that, I can't say that, so then I sort of back out of it and then I can be a little bit vague, but, you know, just sim simplify it for yourself, especially if you're under pressure. What's one thing you can add to this brief response that somebody else can't? I don't think you even need to use the word strategy. If you're getting briefed by a media agency or you're in an agency that's typically quite um, downstream, I don't think you need to like grandstand with this stuff. Just reveal one thing that they haven't thought of before and connect that immediately to an idea. The other thing is to think about whether you have a strategy philosophy, whether your company has a creative philosophy and a, a cousin strategy philosophy. That'll also save you some time. Yeah, that could come through in some kind of uh, one or two slide template. Where you explain how you work and why and how that's more effective. And hopefully you've got some science and numbers behind that, which leads to your own first principles as a strategy discipline. Because otherwise you, you just coming out with stuff from scratch every single time. Hmm. I think they're the main points. There are a few other points that have slipped my mind, but they were the, they were the main points. Hmm. I hope that was useful. I actually <laughs> thought what I was going to say was going to be more useful, uh, but then I started to second guess how specific I could be. All right. I'm now going to leave Bryant Park. I'm going to walk up 6th Ave. I think I'll actually walk past BBDO going up this way. There are some agencies in this area, but most of them are downtown. There's a big cluster around Hudson Street, Hudson and Houston. Okay. Oh, it's really hot today. It's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is well into the 30s of Celsius. Okay, again. So I've got some questions that I'm going to answer. I hope I don't get run over. Because <laughs> oh yeah, I've got to pay attention. I'm about to cross the road. Uh, how do you stop responding to questions or stimulus and actually find the time to think? This is from Pip. What's up, Pip? So how do you find time? I mean, the two key parts of your work are finding out stuff and expressing stuff. And the thinking is going to happen continuously. However, you can just section your day. You've got to work out your own working habits and working practice, what gets you where you want to go. What I would often do is think about, I think it's called Parkinson's Law, that you'll take as long as you have. You'll take as long as you have. Duh. <laughs> but think about when you were at school and you took exams or you had assignments due and you know especially assignments due you might some of us might start a little bit late and then you've got two days left so you take two days if you've got a week on a on a pitch or a day on a brief uh, yes there are some famous quotes sometimes attributed to Einstein and various other inventors and designers that whatever however much time they had they would spend most of the time in the problem 
because they'd probably find a solution there. You know, spend 95% of my time on the problem because the solution's probably there. So that's one rule of thumb you could play with. But the way that I would work, the way that I do work is I have phases where it's largely about collecting and I don't overanalyze. I don't try to, to latch too soon. I just try to try to see things as they are, try to hear them as they are. Where if, if I might say, okay, what, 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 can I, what, what can I do in the time that I have? Okay, I'm going to speak to 10 people. I'm going to go through consumer reviews. I'll digest all the documents that a client sent me. Maybe I'll look at some basic keyword research. I want to go through a few online communities, see what people are talking about as far as the brand or the product or the topic. And I'm just collecting at this point. Uh, I might have given myself some questions that I want to ask as well, because what I'm trying to avoid, I wouldn't be collecting this stuff in a, a document really, I don't personally like doing that because you end up with 100 slides that don't say anything, but um, yeah, I would have written some questions beforehand and then I go hunting and then the questions get better. If I'm interviewing people, there's obviously a discussion guide. and. If it's, a, if it's a day, I'd probably do four or five hours of some kind of research, collect it. If certain points seem to be hitting me, I'd write them. I keep a separate piece of paper or two next to me, and I just write the key points on that piece of paper. And then I get to the point where I feel like I have enough, or I just have to decide that I have enough. And then it becomes writing time. Right? So writing time for me is thinking time. Every now and then, there might be a few days of space between when I finish doing research and when I actually sit down and write and I just let the brain tick over. Otherwise, I'll sit there and write. I could go for a walk, but it, I'll try to find the phrases and the themes that are really sort of poking me in the brain and cut myself some slack because you, because of that thing called Parkinson's law, you're going to take the time you have and I want to save my energy from being frustrated about how much time I have to knowing that like I I might have like a good four or five hours in a day I don't know about you maybe you have like a good ten hours I think I've got a pretty good four or five hours so I would and I'm better in the mornings so I would shape my day so that I get some that peaceful time in the mornings to do deep work uh, I know a lot of you work with other people which means that you have meetings and a lot of emails and things going on so whatever you can do just to minimize that stuff is important. The other thing is, you know, so the question was how do you stop responding to questions slash stimulus and actually find the time to think. Sometimes you just start to understand your questions better or you start to use a handful of questions to get you somewhere quicker, more quickly. Uh, you know, like I've, I know I've mentioned this one, but when I'm interviewing founders, one of my questions is a clumsy one and that's this. What's something that you know that makes you angry that you know that that your customers don't know? I've heard great answers to that. Sometimes I'll ask people, depends on the topic, but I might say, could you tell me something about this topic that you haven't told anyone else before? You know, I'll try to get into slightly taboo conversations if I can and you need to set up you need to sound trustworthy and interested because you are um, but see having but the point is as a way to answer the question Pip that sometimes a couple of those questions can get you somewhere and they create more time because uh, you're not doing what I hear a lot of strategy folk do is they sometimes do interviews, for example, as a way to collect information that they could collect from other sources. When I'm doing interviews, I don't usually do it to collect information. I'm trying to find attitudes, opinions, how people do things, why they think they do those things, how they think other people do things, why they think those other people do things. So if you can gear, if you're doing interviews, if you can gear your questions towards attitudes and opinions and behaviors, then you're not going to waste 30 minutes of an interview just trying to collect information. All right, next question. 
Um, I'm not going to name you just in case you thought this was a private question. Uh, so someone just started as head of planning. Any advice or resources to seek out? Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, I think the what you'll hear from people I've interviewed about that shift is that the biggest part of that shift is going from your work being about you, and, and maybe you've managed some other people, but you have, and you, so you might have had this shift before. But the work goes from being about you to going to other people. There are ideas such as servant leadership. How can I help you? What do you need? What's in your way? What can I, what can I get out of your way for you today? And having that kind of mindset. Another idea that I like is you have to believe in your people more than they believe in themselves. That's difficult. And I'm not saying I've been good at everything I say, I'm not saying I've ever been good at. These are just interesting ideas. I've had a friend, I was talking to a friend who manages people and I said, I, love, I don't know where this, where this idea is from actually, uh, but you have to believe in your people more than they believe in themselves. And a friend said, yeah, but what if they're not doing very well? <laughs> and so I would add in brackets, until it's too late. Well, not until, that's a weird one as well, but you know what I mean, like you have to believe in them. And research around kids and people in, dis like children in disadvantaged um, environments, when there's some piece of research that got done where they split kids in disadvantaged environments into two classes. One of the classes was told that they're gifted and talented and they outperformed the other class, even though I don't think, statistically speaking, there was much of a difference between the classes. So that's a really interesting idea. And I know that you, some of you will work in agencies where everyone expects to do amazing work. I feel like I worked in agencies in Sydney where that was the expectation. Why wouldn't we do something good and why wouldn't we do it every month? It's just the expectation. It's powerful. So servant leadership is good. Trying to understand that your work's not about you as much anymore. I think trying to have some clear strategy philosophy that's not all highfalutin and like weird abstract, you know, using words like semiotics and just like, I don't know, stuff that's just like, what? Salience or that language. It's just, most people, most of the sort of younger strategists I speak to, they're just nervous about the direction of, often don't nervous about the direction of the agency. Sometimes leadership can't articulate what the agency's about, which is to also articulate what it's not about, what kind of work it wants to do, what it doesn't want to do. And when that is slow to happen, it can be difficult to actually be able to define the strategy philosophy and the role of strategy in that agency. I'm a big fan of doing things on one page. Uh, one thing I tried to do, and you can ask the people who worked with me, I don't know whether it was useful, <laughs> but I would, on one page, write down what I thought our mission was as a strategy team, uh, what we were trying to work on, what the position of the, not positioning, but the situation, the business situation was and how we were gonna try to help it, what, our, what the role of strategy was, encourage people to write, teach, talk, their personal beliefs that I have, that when you write, teach, talk, you have to commit to what you think about what you do, you put it out in public, you get feedback. So it's good for thinking, it's good for network, and it's good practice. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you, you know, I've had some pretty funky situations in head of strategy roles. So whatever you can do to get management support and operational support, I think is good. You know, can you get planning built into scopes so you don't have to chase projects around the building to get your team on them? That's just a fool's errand. It's ridiculous that that stuff happens. And, and when it happens, often the rest of the management team is like, sort it out. I don't know. It's your, like, I don't know. You're the head of planning. Why isn't planning getting charged for? It's like, well, you expect me to run around the building and find scopes. I'm not an ops person. <laughs> What's that all about? Um, also trying to, you've got to excite your team. You've got to excite the creative department. If you have a creative department, make it simple, try to understand what's not been working so you can work out what can work and then try to get uh, bigger, deeper relations, like one-on-one -on -one relationships with your clients. And you, sometimes you're going to work with account teams who don't want you near their clients. It's really tough, really tough. Uh, I found that more in the US than elsewhere. I expected to have direct relationships with clients elsewhere and here it was people were just nervous if you emailed them sometimes in some places I worked. It's not everywhere, but I've, I've, I don't think it's unusual. 
but good luck good luck that's a great role if you ever want to chat more than happy to have a chat maybe we should get some people together we did did a few dinners uh, last year with well, a couple of years ago with Romy Neem called Big Talk where we got people who were running strategy teams together and everyone had to just bring one big question because some of us aren't very good at small talk so maybe we can do some of those again alright uh, Zach Shogren, what do you do when you don't have time or access to personally talk to your target audience? Mm, I mean, it's nice to talk to somebody. You can talk, there's sometimes people within the company who've done the research or who have talked, so if you can talk to them, do that. You can look at online message boards. You can. find academic research, behavioral economics research in some topics where someone might have studied the people that you're studying. They might have done it for 10 years. Keyword research, looking at consumer reviews. It really, it, consumer reviews are fine. Don't do work clouds though. Do, do whatever you want, but don't do them. Kidding, don't do them. Don't, no, seriously, don't. Work clouds are useless. They're not. They are, they're useless. Uh, what I used to do, I would just sit, if I couldn't, if I didn't have time or couldn't get access and maybe it's at night time I'm sitting there just trawling through consumer reviews trying to find interesting behaviors because people usually self-report their, the entire path to purchase in consumer reviews and I find that stuff really interesting you know? so it could be a trigger what triggered that person to make this purchase what other ways did they try to buy this thing what was their experience in buying this thing which decisions were most important to them so if you're working on a, an established category or product chances are there's a ton of interesting stuff in consumer reviews subreddits are great uh, you know if you have access to a client email list can you send a three question survey just make it simple a lot of people over engineer these surveys they're trying to act all academic and everything maybe it's a one question survey could we just email people one question survey could we set up a, an exit or an entrance survey on a website Can you get access to somebody who's studied these people for a long time and have a quick conversation? You might need to pay them. So thanks for that question, Zach. Uh, Charlotte Rue or Rubesa. Uh, what makes a good connection strategist? So what makes a good connection strategist? It depends on what you mean by that. I think what you mean is someone who, oh, this, the, it's the terminology that's difficult. So let's, I think what that's trying to do is separate between a communications planner, a comms planner, and a media planner, and a media buyer. So there's three groups there. First group might have titles such as engagement planner, comms planner, communications planner. Did I say engagement strategist or engagement planner? And even that, the engagement one can get used differently in different parts of the industry too. Then you have a media planner, and then you have a media buyer. So the media buyer is typically the person who buys the media. A planner might be creative, but sometimes they're really trying to work out how to efficiently buy media. And then a comms or connections planner, if I'm understanding the terminology correctly, they're going to be similar to a media planner, but they're going to have a bit more of a creative flair, uh, empathy and ability, and the ability to connect dots in interesting ways, because part of what a comms planner does, as far as I understand it, is you're trying to connect the message or the idea and what the theme of the message or idea is to the environment in which it appears. You're connecting the message or idea to the environment in which it appears. And the focus of that, the reason to do that, is because that, from what I understand, is meant to lead to more effective communication. There are, I'm, sh I'm sure I've got to find the research about this. There's some statistic I used to see floating around that when, you know, it's two and a half times more effective when the idea or message and the environment echo each other somehow. And that means that your argument is for effectiveness. Sometimes a media planner's argument is for effectiveness, often it's for efficiency. How do we spend this money efficiently? Knowing that all parts of the industry are under pressure, especially in the media world right now. So much stuff's getting uh, automated. So then what makes a good connections planner? It's uh, empathy, focusing on humans, being able to think creatively, possibly having 
either direct contacts with or the ability to work well with partners, media partners, tech partners, quote-unquote influencers. Because what you're not doing... So, oh, there was this cool campaign. I, I don't know how effective it was. And I don't know when it was. This is a long time ago, 15-plus years ago. So Philips did a campaign that was all about simplicity 15-plus years ago. And part of their comms planning was to take media environments and make them simpler. One way they did this was, was it Time Magazine? It was a pretty well-known magazine they did this thing with where they actually put the index page of the magazine on page three. So you'd open up the cover and the index page was right there, brought to you by Philips because they're about simplicity. So obviously to be able to do that, not only do you need empathy for people to understand what's, what's maybe complicated, I don't know if people really find index pages complicated to find or even use them in magazines, but you need empathy for people. You need to be able to think creatively. You're going to need to be persuasive and work through your agency interesting ideas. Actually, on my hip-hop magazine once, uh, Universal McCann bought uh, like an ad for the Yellow Pages and they wanted it as a dog ear of the, the front page. It was probably a cheap way to get it a, an award entry, actually. Our full-page ads were about 900 bucks back then. And so they wanted a dog ear. Um, Yeah, so there you go. That's, that's what I think can help. Sorry, I'm crossing the road now. Getting towards Central Park. A little bit bizarre. I, I know there's a bunch of you who listen to these, and they do ramble. I, I really do hope they're useful, and when I say, could you let me know if they're useful or not, and then you do, I really do appreciate that. So if you find these things useful, and you can put up with some of the rambles and the rabbit holes and things that I step in, I probably have my foot in my mouth half the time as well. So I've got one foot in a rabbit hole, one foot in my mouth half the time. Uh, if you persist with these and these, do let me know. All right, where's 56th Street? That's where I'm at. Uh, David Kennedy, will you be bringing oh, your brilliance to Oslo anytime in the near future? I was in Oslo last year. I've been to Sweden a couple of times. I'll be in Denmark a couple of times. I don't have plans for Oslo again. I went in December. Every, like, oh, I was like, like, during the day, I could probably visit some of the galleries and museums. And I think on Monday and Tuesday, a lot of them were closed. And it was dark the whole time. I would love to come back when it's not dark and cold and when things are open. Can make all things happen. David, uh, Gentots, how do you approach strategy for a brand platform brief? Any different frameworks? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, tons of frameworks. Um, there's something that I've been thinking about and I've written about a couple of times is that frameworks, think about frameworks like this. They're frames in which to put your work. The work happens in your head. That work is called thinking. Frameworks can help you think. That is the point of them, to encourage a certain style of thinking or a, an adequate due diligence with your thinking. But you still need to think. You don't just get all the frameworks and put trite, cliche stuff like mums are really busy in them. doesn't make that any better because that's still terrible and patronizing and utterly cliche. And I've heard it hundreds of times. It's yet to surprise me or interest me. Okay, So you don't get to do... you don't. Don't use frameworks to get away with not thinking and don't use frameworks to get away with crap thinking, please. So I do tend to use problem inside advantage strategy or problem inside edge strategy, the little drawing, the arrows. I've got to give it a name apparently. I'm thinking of calling it the four points because the four points of the strategy, there are four points, there's four points to your story. I don't know how catchy that is, let me know. Uh, and so I would often do that. one. You know, it really depends on the state of the company. Sometimes I might jump over a problem if they're new and I might focus a little bit more on the inner world of the founder or the founders. Just try to understand what really motivates them. And then I've put this on Instagram actually. There's a little strategy shape I use to express the brand. It's, it's a bunch of circles. <laughs> you can have donuts, you can have houses, you can have whatever you want. But you can check out my Instagram at Mark Bollard if you want to check if you want to see that. It'll also be in this book I'm doing. And if you come to the Strategy Super Size Omega class, you'll get that as a file. 
Um, the thing is to also understand what you mean or what other people mean by brand platform. A platform to me now is something that you stand on for a period of time. It was one of those words I didn't hear a lot until I moved to America. And, and it doesn't always mean the same thing. Sometimes people just say it and they use it, like they say brand platform, but they use it differently on different projects or the words in the brand platform aren't very interesting. The words might look more like strategy words, uh, as in that genre of strategy writing, of big words trying to grandstand their way into existence through just terrorizing people with a number of syllables they have. There's that, but then there's also campaign language or a slogan that could appear as a brand platform. A brand platform might also have a campaign. A campaign might become a brand platform. You might have a campaign with a nice set of language and an idea and over time it stays around and you keep standing on it because that's what a platform is. So try to understand how you're using that word as well. Uh, teabag89, I haven't looked at these questions, I always get nervous that someone's going to troll me. Uh, teabag89, oftentimes there is not much time for strategy work. In this case, how do you do it well? Okay, so you need to have go-to techniques, you need to have practiced those techniques, you need to cut yourself some slack using that idea before, Parkinson's law, that you're going to take the time that you've got, what's the most I can do, what's the best I can do in the time I've got based on my recent experience. And then again, cut yourself some more slack by asking the question I also said before. What's one thing I can add to this project? What's one revelation? What's one thing that I can find? If you've got a day, do four or five hours of research. Take notes as you're going. Maybe you're going to have ideas, but don't lash to them too soon. Give yourself four or five times to go for a wander, mentally, intellectually. Find stuff. Grab ideas, grab thoughts, piece of paper. And then consistently ask yourself the question, have I heard this before? What's the most interesting thing I found today? I will joke about smit and smat, single most interesting thing, single most amazing thing. What's the single most interesting thing I found? What's the single most amazing thing I found? If you're doing advertising, a lot of great advertising comes from a short phrase that someone just stumbles upon, just having a chat, or through writing it out, finding the answer, finding the answer by writing it out. Right, 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 right. Stream of consciousness writing. But you need some kind of stimulus. So you've got to fill your head with some stuff and then get it out onto a page. Or get, get the connections out onto a page. And sometimes you'll drop a word down and you go, no, nah, that's not really what I'm saying. And then you find a better word and then you keep, and then you find a better word and you just keep going. And it becomes this, you know, you're giving yourself this raw material to fix. Knowing that good strategy, quote unquote good strategy, can come from a just one phrase, one sentence. Obviously, my philosophy, well, when I say my philosophy, it's a philosophy that I've cobbled together from a lot of other people and having read stuff, is to try to solve some kind of problem, a human problem behind a business problem. And that strategy is a series of lateral thoughts. It's ideas, it's creativity. So I have like an operating system that I'm applying this to. If you don't have a strategy philosophy for yourself or your department doesn't or you're continually coming up with new ways of working, you will flounder. Because not only do you have to work out what the thinking is, you have to work out on every single project how to do the thinking. However, because we're smart people, what I didn't just say is to do the same thing every time <laughs> and to be dogmatic about it. didn't say that. But if you catch yourself floundering, spend 30 minutes with yourself and a piece of paper and write down how you like to work. Think about the projects that you've worked on that were successful. Extract the key principles. Maybe principle one is, I spoke to the client directly. I had coffee with the client. Some kind of direct relationship and interaction with the client. Maybe principle two is, I shared some of my thinking as drawings or as like handwritten things on paper on day two, really early with the rest of the team. Maybe principle three is I just I stayed true to some of the weird things that I thought and, and some of the strange things that I heard. I, I, I allowed that provocative stuff to exist. I didn't sharpen, I didn't take the edges off it, not sharpen, I didn't take the edges off it. So you, you get to work through your own principles, but that's definitely something to do every now and then. Uh, 
Epimesis hello, says uh, there are a plethora of strategies coming into play at any point. Is there one strategy to rule them all? Probably, but that's because you can assemble whatever you want into one particular theme. And if you work with territories or you do workshops and someone comes in and goes, I think those three things are actually together and we're going to put them under the territory of empowerment. Cool. I don't know, are you going to use that word empowerment in public? I don't think it, I don't think it has a very specific meaning. Important idea, not a very specific meaning. But just because you can, you might have just shaved off like what was interesting about those things. So one strategy to rule them all, I don't know. Yeah, love. That's about that. Seems like a good strategy. Although, if you're dealing in a world of people trying to hurt each other and take over, maybe love will work. Maybe love will make you the next target. If only it wasn't true. Uh, dog yawn. What questions would you ask a mall client focused on increasing <laughs> uh, money per square foot to get to their human problem? A mall client wanting to increase how much money they charge. Mm, I mean, uh, so mm, the way I would use the phrase, like the problem there, the human problem behind the business problem, that's more about the potential, the people who might hire that space. So I would talk to them about it and I would try to understand what's happening in their businesses what's increasing what's decreasing try to understand what kind of business they are it depends on the mall you know if it's a high-end mall it's probably going to be pretty chain store focused right as opposed to an eccentric small town mall which could have a lot of local artisans in it so I mean, you, there you're just trying to understand what those people value, what the renters value, what they're going to pay more for. And chances are you might actually have to change your product. You can change the way you talk about your product, but you might have to change the product as well. Hmm. Uh, Bailey Digital. Recommended job roles on the road to becoming a strategist, e.g. coordinator first, then AM, etc. I don't think there are any rules and you're gonna find a lot of people older than you who did a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, like I did a magazine, I did work in agencies from the age of 19, but I was also doing a magazine and radio and building websites, putting on events, and that gave me a whole set of, well, I think skills. Not that I'm super good at uh, organizing stuff. And it does, for, it does stress me out a little bit, actually. Like I'll get up on stage and talk about some pretty vulnerable stuff. And if you've seen my talks recently, you've heard some of it, but you've heard about 0.2% of it. But like booking flights, I'm like, ah, what if I do it wrong? And I have to have my calendar open. I look at it 10 times. I'm like, is that really the date that I'm going? July 31, July 31, July 31. And then I go open the, the tab for the actual booking. I'm like, hang on, which date was it again? So I bounce back. Oh, that's crazy. So looking for these conventional career paths I kind of I don't know I feel, I feel bad that people have to think like this I love to assemble strategy teams where people have come from different industries and different backgrounds and have had a bit of time doing other stuff because they bring a wider breadth of experience I do have friends who teach advertising so that's not to dismiss that but studying advertising getting a job in advertising and then working your way up yeah great I know it's like America's tough as well and if you haven't been in the American working or educational environment, it's hard for you to even understand that. Come out with all this debt. Got to have a career path. Got to argue your way into, into a college. Work your ass to get through it. Work your ass off to get through it. Somehow be able to afford to go to a city where you can do an internship or several internships. It's not easy. So I don't mean to dismiss that at all. But... When, I interview, when I've interviewed people, and you'll find this with a lot of other heads of planning, we will talk about non-planning stuff. You know, I've worked with people who were bartenders, teachers, research, well, researchers is pretty adjacent, uh, writers, people studying human-computer interaction, 
someone who studied law for a few years. I love merging all that stuff. So, yeah, look, I think in life, if you're ever looking for the path or the way, I don't know. <clears throat> Wish I had something more mini. I'll have something more useful to say to that later. It'll hit me later. But like, just finding a path where A leads to B leads to C. Maybe. Doubt it. <laughs> All right, we're 50 minutes in. I'm now in Central Park. It's quite busy today. Lots of uh, rainbow inspired, well, it's a rainbow umbrella right in front of me. Lots of rainbow signage up. All right, let me see. I want to see what things people have written in uh, Instagram answering this question. What's something you wish your head of planning knew? Or maybe there's a better question. Where is it? Here we go. What do you need from your head of planning? Okay, so there's a few answers here. Again, I, I won't mention names just in case because I didn't say I was going to, and now I get, then I get nervous that I'm going to say it and you'll get in trouble. Uh, but the cool thing is, because sometimes also I've, sometimes I interview people, um, and I, I don't do interviews to catch people out, but I, every now and then, it's so rare, but every now and then someone will say, I worked with that person, and that's not really how it was. But guess what? If you work with them now, you've got their words in public. <laughs> so you can say, hey, you know how you said this thing about being a compassionate leader? Or whatever it is, you can say, how do we, let's do that, let's do that. You can hold them accountable to it in a nice way. Don't believe them through their own words. That doesn't tend to work. All right, so here, the question is, what do you need from your head of planning? I'm not going to mention names. One word is inspiration. I struggle with this word, inspiration. Don't look for inspiration for other people. Find out within. Find it somewhere, but, like, it's a weird word. It's a weird word. Looking for your muse. Buy yourself a a teddy bear, put it on your desk and call it your muse and look to it for inspiration. It's your job. It's not somebody else's job. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean, that sounded a bit mean. I didn't mean to sound mean, but yo, it's one of those words that triggers me a little. Uh, vision setting and team role definition, especially in an agency new to strategy. Well, I, I did just talk about that. And also, I've been in some of these roles. It's really hard to do sometimes because the management team blocks you. I've worked in places that didn't want planning and I know that because I interviewed super senior people about how to get planning to work. And people are like, well, I don't want to add it to my scope. So I don't want other people in the meetings. I want to be the smartest person in the room. Like, and I'm talking career, like 20 people 20, 30 years into a career were saying this to me really honestly, which is great, but also confusing for me. Um, but just on a page, whatever you do, you can break it down on a page. Don't do your slides. Maybe there's a way for you as a group of people to get together and uh, write what you think the vision of the strategy group is. I like a vision statement to start with this phrase, a world in which. A world in which something is different. The one that I do think of a lot is a world in which people who think for a living don't feel alone. A world in which strategists don't feel alone. That's not all strategists, but it's a lot. It's because I'm trying to solve my own problem. <laughs> okay, next is some guidance, some encouragement, someone to listen and bounce ideas back and forth. Sounds reasonable. More downtime to talk. Get off the desk and outside. Empathy. Feedback. A guide to how they think. Access to information, to leadership, to decision making. Vision action does actual work. <laughs> Knowledge, support, freedom to experiment, trust and honesty. Ooh, I was going to take. I'm thinking about taking a risk and trying to identify the key personas that I've seen in strategy leadership roles. I'll do that now. Let's see what happens. So, just so that you understand some of the bosses out there, there is the like the punk intellectual. They just want everything to happen quickly and really rebelliously. They don't understand why things take so long and why the thinking isn't provocative enough. There's the operator, 
might not be very good at planning, honestly. Might not be very good at planning, good at politics, knows how to talk PNL, focuses on hiring, firing, all that kind of stuff. There's the, let's see if these are different enough. The diplomat. They're good at talking. They do a lot of meetings. They seem to make things happen, um, but they can also be a bit difficult to pin down. I will probably, in the first few years... There is a group of senior planning people who, look, sometimes the job's exhausting managing. It can be exhausting for some people managing a lot of people and then dealing with all the really big politics in some places. And so some people disappear. They seem to be on planes all the time, in meetings all the time. You can't get time with them. Some stuff could be going on in their lives as well. They could be burnt out. They're just trying to last another year or two on a big salary. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying this stuff's out there. Uh, there's also some, some, you know, what some of us might refer to as a-holes. Just like mean-spirited and negative heads of planning. Your work's never good enough. You're always getting feedback. They don't coach. They just tell you what's wrong. Well, that's, and that's the other way to split some of these the types. is like a coaching type of leader versus a boss. Also, can I tell you, I never talked, I didn't really have a, hear or have a ton of conversations about my boss. I hear this stuff all the time in America in planning, but also, you know, you're on a plane and someone's complaining about their boss. It's kind of interesting. I've never introduced someone as my boss. I don't think. It's weird. Someone, people have done that to me. I'm like, whoa, don't use that word. It's a weird word. Okay. Are there other, are there other types of planning heads? Um, hmm, this is absolutely not to disrespect heads of planning, but we have seen research that there are, relative to the average population, there are more sociopaths in leadership roles. And if you think about it, we've done this weird thing to ourselves where we've given companies the rights of humans. And sometimes I think we treat the companies better than we treat people, especially in certain parts of the world. And companies are sociopathic. <laughs> they don't care about you. And then often we promote people who don't operate through compassion. The trick is when you see someone who you think's a bit like that and then they start using keywords like empathy and compassion, but it's like they've been coached into saying that as ways to get you to follow them for a little bit. Anyway, are there like four or five people who come to mind? I hope that they weren't all like, I hope they didn't all sound mean-spirited, but sometimes when you're thinking aloud while working or walking around Central Park, weird stuff's going to come out. Uh, and I'm going to try to ask, well, maybe not just friends, but people I know, like what do they need you to understand about their roles? Because they're not easy. There are people who coast, who disappear. Maybe we've all done it at some point. But especially if you're in New York and you're in a senior role like that, it's so political. And the planning people often, not always, but often don't get told what's going on because the numbers people of the management team, they have other meetings where they work it all out. And the planning head of planning can just be like this weird court jester and not really seen as a, a vital business operator or confidant. It's not everywhere. My feeling is that it's a bit it's it's like not uncommon <sighs> all right i'm gonna end it today um yeah look i hope i hope that was useful i think i was a bit vague to start hopefully some of that was useful shout outs if you've recently joined the sweathead facebook community uh, it's growing it's really helpful to a lot of people um i'm still trying to work out exactly what to do with it and how to do stuff with it i get nervous when i post that it's spamming people um but people around the world appreciate your contributions to it. Everywhere I've gone, people are like, oh, it's, uh, um, especially people who are the only planners in their companies or only strategists in their companies or cities. They're like, oh, it's so good to just have other people I can talk to. So keep that going. If you're interested in organizing Sweathead meetups, let me know. I'm contemplating doing internships soon. Um, there's so much going on that I'm trying to work out whether I 
<laughs> I need to hire at some point. I do like independence, but I'm trying to work that out. There's also a deck that uh, Lara Redmer made called Where Does Strategy Happen? And you can find that at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash where strategy happens. You need to capitalize the W for where, the S for strategy, the H for happens. And she put together, she did some research and she put together a table trying to help her understand where brand strategy happens because it's something that she's interested in. And you can take a survey, but I think about 50 people have taken the survey just trying to help her understand it, who does a good job of it. We might talk about that in the podcast soon as well. Don't forget, London, July 31, bit.ly forward slash, I think it's strategy supersizer, capital S for the start of those three words. Uh, and if you've lasted through this walk and talk, where am I? I'm like halfway into Central Park now. It's so hot, I'm sweating. Uh, yeah, thank you for persisting. Feel free to ask questions, especially on Instagram, at Mark Pollard. Take care of yourself. Do some good writing. Do some writing. And hopefully some of it will be good this week. A lot. I've got a lot of interviews planned for July. Uh, I hope you enjoy them. Peace. <laughs>